We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision Postmatch Podcast. As ever, this is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. In today's show, Elliot, Tim and James will be discussing the excellent 2-1 victory against Man City on Monday night. Firstly, what a performance. What a really good team display. I mean, I really enjoyed this game. It was very different to kind of performance against Man United at home, for example, when we won 3-0. Uh, you know, it wasn't our best football, our most creative football on the day. But what was so enjoyable about it was... The attitude of the players and the way they all stuck together and they fought for every ball and organisation and the whole team it was really really enjoyable to see. But um, as many people have already noted, players like Theo Walcott chasing back and appearing in the left back position many times to clear that to win the ball and clear it away. And you know, it's really good to see. And you know, when we got so many good players out from our our team at the moment and a lot of squad players missing. It's good to see the players we do have remaining stick together and fight for each other. You know, it, it all sounds very cliche and Osmenga said, said this a number of times, but quite clearly there is a very good harmony and togetherness in this squad and it shows on the pitch. Now the big test will be to do this against teams that aren't as big and glamorous as Man City. That's the big test. We've got to do it at St Mary's now. Um, and against the lower side, we have, we have to dig in. But obviously, you know, it's not going to be as easy as is that every game because over the Christmas period we've got a lot of games in a short space of time and we've only got a few players to choose from. You know, we've only got about 14 players available to play. So it's going to be tough. Yes. could talk about Mesut Ozil and Peter Cech and Laurent Corsioni having a gear in his pocket again. But uh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to let the guys do that. So 
enjoy the podcast and we'll be back after Boxing Day um, when we face Southampton. Enjoy. Until then, have fun. Merry Christmas and um, don't eat too much. Uh, See you then. Crisis in the media as pundits running out of sticks with which to beat manager and club. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We're going to discuss Arsenal's delightful 2-1 victory over City at the Emirates uh, momentarily with two fantastic guests. It is the return of the original rivalry. Forget Arsenal Spurs or City Liverpool or, or City Liverpool, Everton Liverpool or City United or any of those things. It's me and James back on the pod, ready to lock horns, go toe to toe, butt heads, whatever analogy you want to use. But I'm delighted he's here. He's Gunner Faithful 49 on. No, he's not. He's Gunner Fanatic 49 on Twitter. I don't even know you anymore. James, welcome back. <laughs> Good to be back. Um, Good afternoon to yeah. you. Okay, so fair to say I'm. Probably wrong about us finishing out of the top four. Uh, you're probably wrong about Oxlade Chamberlain getting his league starts, but we'll see. We'll see. We can get into Indeed. that another time. I'm glad you're here. Um, Tim Stillman, you can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. He is here. Hello, Tim. Good evening. Paul did such a loud and powerful woohoo that he burst his vocal cords and will not be with us for the program. But he doesn't do tactics, they say. He did tactics. He can't win the big games, they say. He's winning the big games. It's like there are no more sticks left to beat Arsenal and the manager with. Um, We're even doing it with backup players now. So we'll get to all that. Let's start with you, Tim. Uh, Something you were talking about off mic, off, well, it was on mic, but off air or off recording before we got started, because I think it is relevant for the game. You said it was the best atmosphere you've ever experienced at the Emirates. How important do you think the atmosphere was in, in really getting an understrength but still competent Arsenal team to achieve what they did on Monday night? I'm, I'm not sure it was that important in that um, I think okay, the, moving atmosphere, on. <laughs> <laughs> the atmosphere really started to germinate in kind of the last 20 minutes of the game and actually in particularly when we went 2-1 down because um, I, I think you, everybody could sense the kind of the gravity of, um, of the match and, and as, as I was just saying to you guys off air, I think it's certainly one of, if not the best and loudest I've heard it, certainly in the last 10 minutes as well. Um, and I was trying to think of a comparable game where, um, at the Emirates, where we've played someone that, and it feels like a real, you know, almost like those old Manchester United games, not with the same needle granted or the same rivalry, but that kind of, this is the two title rivals facing off um, with all due respect to Leicester City. Um, and, I, and I couldn't really think of one because every time we've been in the title race, it kind of feels like we've got there or we've been top of the league before we've really begun to play our rivals or anything like that. And so that this this was really one of the first times I can remember that this felt like a proper, you know, these are the two teams going for the title. This is like a proper six-pointer. And the only one I could think of, and listeners might be able to refresh my memory with others, but I think when we played Manchester United in November 07, and Galas scored that last-minute um, equaliser in a 2-2 draw, and that really felt like a kind of tete-a-tete. Um, but it, it, the atmosphere, I think, would have been helpful to the players in the last 10 minutes or so when City got that goal back. Um, the goal they got, I think, was a symptom of tired legs and tired minds as well. Um, we just dropped our focus for 
a couple of seconds and that's enough with a player like Yaya Toure. Um, and, and you could really sense the fans getting behind the team. They sensed um, how important this result was. And it, and it really kind of felt like, for the first time in many years, this really felt like um, you know, a proper title, almost playoff. Um, and, and the atmosphere and the, and the kind of the volume um, as much as anything um, in that last kind of 20 minutes or so um, was excellent because it kind of went from when we were two 0 up, everyone was, you know, and we're getting towards the end of the game. People could sense we were going to win, and so it's kind of celebratory. And then City get that goal back, and it just really turned into, you know, some something to galvanise the team. Uh, and it and, and it was wonderful to hear. Yeah, I mean, do you think some of the the energy in the stadium and and some of the enthusiasm was down to the fact that the belief is really surging now that a, that a genuine title challenge could be on and that belief maybe hasn't been at this elevated state in a long time? Absolutely. that That's absolutely it. And that explains why the atmosphere went from kind of, kind of beginning to get into celebratory mood to, you know, really getting behind the team and galvanising them and the whistles that went, you know, for the whole of stoppage time for the referee to blow up, um, blow his whistle that is not spontaneously combust. <laughs> That'd be fine too. Either works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's definitely a symptom of belief, I think. It's so interesting too, because I can contrast this. If you remember two seasons ago when we led the league more days than any other team and then had the collapse in the second half, there was a game at the Emirates in December. It was December 8th against Everton. We took the lead late through an Ozo goal, and Delafeu scored in the 84th. And that could, I think, put us eight points clear at the top. Um, yeah. And it felt like such a missed opportunity. And really, we never got a grip on that title race from there. And we know what happened. This is sort of, this could have been that moment and it wasn't. And so, James, let, let me ask you tactically. There's a lot about this game that felt very similar to the tactics that we employed against City at the Etihad in January. Um, so two questions. First of all, just is that what you saw? But secondly, how much, you know, I'm always curious when we are, on the back foot like that, and we're defending deeper and, and seeding possession, how much of it is intended and how much of it is a byproduct of the strength of our of our opposition? I think in this case, it was absolutely tactical. Is that what you saw? I did, certainly to a, a certain extent. I think, as you often reference, it, there, were, there were several sort of stanzas within the game. Um, I think from the opening... I do love the, a stanza. You do indeed. Um... I think from the opening sort of five to ten minutes, it was very much the two sides felt like, you know, it felt as though the two sides were feeling each other out. They were both showing each other a certain level of respect. Um, neither side really went for it. It was, you know, very much to me the, the opposite tempo of that is the way in which we started against United. Um, and But I felt there was... As, as the game wore on, certainly within the f within the first half and and following the the Theo goal, um, I thought there was a more there was there was a there was a certain level of openness that 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 developed, um, and there were far more counter attacking opportunities that um, were were provided towards us. Um, I think when you look at the second half and the kind of opportunities that the two sides had, um, we certainly had the better of it. And when you look back at the Etihad game, um, and I mean be recalling incorrectly given the, the sort of time between the two. I, I don't, you know, outside of the fact we scored a penalty and a set piece 
Um, I don't really recall us having that much sort of attacking potential, despite, you know, even in this game, the amount of possession that we seeded. Um, and so I think, given the kind of pace we had on the break, given the, you know, with Ramsey back in the centre, I think even though City dominated the ball, I think I, it felt to me, and certainly going forward in the second half, that we always posed the more uh, attacking threat and looked the more likely to score. Um, so yes, I think it was very much um, a, the ta- a tactical decision on on the team's part to allow City that much uh, time on the ball and and make it very difficult for them to find spaces in our final third and hit them on the counter. And when you have players like Theo, Ozil, Ramsey, and, um, and Campbell to an extent, you you have that potential to um, to open them up on the break. And I thought we uh, we did that to great effect. And even when you look to the goal, Yaya goal that we'll come to. I mean, you know, still we were we were set up in that manner. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, I, you know, you look to a couple of chances where we we sort of got ahead of ourselves and left a lot of space when Monreal pushed forward for the De Bruyne chance at nil nil, um, and Cassiani looked to aggressively intercept the ball that came to Aguero. So I mean, the structure and shape of the team wasn't perfect for the full ninety minutes, but. Um, it certainly worked uh, extremely well and was uh, effective enough for for the victory in the end. Yeah, it seemed the more we committed to counterattacking them, maybe we we didn't get the balance right of how many resources to uh, apply to the counterattack versus how many to keep back. There were, were there were a few interesting moments. There was an interesting moment I think where Joel broke uh, ahead, or no, maybe it was Theo broke up the pitch. And he was totally alone. There was nobody else in the in the attacking half. And then there were moments when there'd be six Arsenal players supporting the counterattack, and we'd get countered again. So I don't know that we always got the balance right, but it certainly felt pretty close to right. Um, Tim, I think as much as everybody knows, I would love an upgrade uh, at, in the front three in terms of goal scoring, or at least another goal scoring option. I think I'm at the point now where I'm I'm willing to acknowledge that we probably can get to a title with what we have up front. The real debate was, can we survive this period with Ramsey and Flamini in midfield? Whether or not they can play every single game there is a different debate. But just in terms of quality, what did you make of the Flamini-Ramsey central midfield pairing? Um, It's one that you and I have discussed as potentially not being a working partnership. It seemed reasonably coherent and effective to me uh, against City. It did, yeah, and uh, that's just a symptom of them both being slightly more disciplined. We spoke um, on the kind of Aston Villa edition, as it were, and uh, we were kind of wondering whether, because Ramsey in particular was getting forward a lot against Villa um, and against Olympiacos as well, and I know we spoke and we wondered whether that was just a symptom of his natural attacking instincts taking over or whether Wenger took the view that, well, actually it's Olympiacos and Aston Villa we can afford to be a bit more gung-ho against those teams. Um, and it was always going to be interesting to see how we how we show, shaped up against City. And um, they, they sat in much, much more. And the thing that struck me about the first kind of 25 minutes of this encounter, um, just as kind of James was saying about, like, you know, the two teams feeling each other out, the, the two players that summed this up for me were Ramsey and Yaya Toure both of whom are very similar types of player, very similar types of midfielder. And both of them um, were really quite conservative and they both really, really dropped off in that first 25 minutes. And that was a symptom of the teams paying each other a lot of respect. And, you know, it's 
Wenger says, you know, it's it's easier to be defensive, um, and he gets criticism for that because Arsenal aren't always great at defending. But he's right in that the personnel matters less when you're organised, when everybody's defending. Um, the actual kind of characteristics of the players you've got don't matter as much if you've made a collective decision to kind of sit back. Um, and I, I thought Ramsey uh, in Flamini got the but well, Flamini just stayed where he was. Um, and Ramsey, I think, got the balance just about right. The only time I had a slight gripe with him was actually in the builder. It was just before City got their goal back. We kind of had a break, and he was. He had a pass right forward. through the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was near the corner flag, mm-hmm. and I, I remember shouting, like, it, there's like eight, nine minutes to go. We do not need you next to the corner flag. And I thought that maybe in that last 10 minutes, he thought the game was won. And um, he wanted a goal, or he wanted to kill it off. So his his thoughts started to drift towards, you know, maybe going three nil up. Um, and you could kind of see the fatigue as well when he let Yaya go for that goal mm-hmm. um, at two one. So I think for about ninety percent of the time, um, they they both got it absolutely spot on, and that's very promising because that shows that. You know they're they're both very adaptable to the situation, and it does say to me that my suspicion maybe was right that Wenger was happy for us to be a bit more kind of wagons ho against the likes of Villa and Olympiacos because he trusts us to beat them. Um, how we shape up against South how the, how those two shape up against Southampton on Boxing Day is incredibly intriguing because there, there could be a bit of a halfway house because. They're not playing very well, but at the same time, we've got to afford them quite a lot of respect. I think they are defensively an absolute shit show. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm not, I'm actually kind of looking forward to it. I mean, the interesting thing with Ramsey though is one of the things you expect from him coming into the side, I think, in place of a Cazorla, is more attacking opportunities, more goal-getting opportunities, more goals, more more dynamism and attack. And the only area I was a little disappointed in Ramsey against City was missed opportunities. I mean, he had chances to get goals and create goals. He obviously had the chip chance that hit Hart's face. He was a little bit unlucky there, I think. What a beautiful move that was. Um, But there was also a move where there was a counterattack and Theo was running through... The, the center backs for City had gotten way too far apart. It might even been a center back and full back. I can't remember exactly. And he put the ball like 20 yards ahead of, of Theo with a pretty straightforward pass. Um, so while I thought he did brilliantly, ironically, it was sort of his attacking contributions that were just a little bit off in terms of execution. Uh, James, you know, midfield is, is a critical part of our success given the fact that we're missing at least ostensibly, our our two first-choice central midfielders. But up front, we're getting a hell of a contribution from a guy that I think, like Coughlin the season before, no one would have expected to even have been part of the team. And I, I tweeted after the game, whisper it, but Joel Campbell is pulling a little bit of a Francis Coughlin this season. Now, I don't think you can say he's been transformative the way Coughlin was. And certainly, I think if our first-choice options were all fit, he'd still be on the bench, unlike Coughlin. But much like Francis, he... He's someone who looked like his Arsenal career was probably just about done, uh, and now he's playing important games, important minutes, and contributing. Um, how impressed were you with him yesterday uh, against City, and, and why do you think, what do you think has been the difference in his in his performances? So, 
I do quite like the analogy with that of Cochrane. I think it's it's one many of us are alluding to, in the sense that his contribution certainly recently has exceeded that of many of our expectations. Um, but the big differential really is now when you, I think hindsight is of course twenty twenty, but when you look at Campbell, he's a player that's played for pretty well-established clubs, uh, Olympiacos, who, um, as we've seen, uh, uh, you know, a, a decent side that have, that competed well in the Champions League, um, and you know, even just going off the reception that he received from the Olympiacos fans and having actually spoken to a couple of people that had had watched him quite closely, he'd always, you know, he he had been a decent sort of part of that squad, and when you look at the performances he puts in now, he's, you know, it's it's actually quite opposite to that of Cochrane in the sense that Cochrane came from from out of nowhere, a player that we didn't even expect to to ever return to Arsenal and, and is now putting in performances that you could argue are up there with the with the top defensive midfielders, certainly in the Premier League. Um and I you know, I I don't have enough whereabouts or or knowledge of, of global leagues to say that, you know, perhaps even up there with um with with that of those of the rest of the world, um, certainly in this calendar year. Um, and I don't think we can ever expect that type of level from Campbell, and, and probably not even close. But what he is providing is he's providing the exact type of um, attributes that this side needs. When you look at the the players he's playing alongside with with Walcott, um, a very sort of in my, my eyes, the, the the definition of of an output player, albeit you know as I'm sure we'll come to, is, is providing a lot a lot more to his game now. Um, and the type of link-up with that of an Ozil and Giroud. And what Campbell brings to the side is, despite you know not necessarily possessing you know the greatest quality of your more traditional right-wingers, someone who's, who's going to score a lot of goals, um, provide a, a large number of assists, his retention of the ball in the final third is, is quite exceptional, actually. Um, his, and you know, his work rate, what he brings to the team... Allows us, I think, given the kind of setup around him, for 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 others to flourish, for that for that team to to have quite a st- stable um, setup, certainly both defensively and offensively. And I think I, I think it's actually the you know it, it's the different it's the differences between him and the other players that he plays alongside. Whereas if you compare, for example, a Sanchez and a Theo. Together, two players, you know, who if they were to play alongside Giroud, perhaps on paper, are much more attacking and a greater potential going forward. You wonder what that does to how it how it destabilizes the first eleven. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it's the it's the qualities that you perhaps don't necessarily, you know, immediately assess in in attacking player in a right wing forward. And of course, the pace that he brings in behind his movement. It's, it opens up space for Giroud and Walcott, and you know, even he managed to get in behind and, and had a good opportunity to score in the game as well. And he's popped up with a couple of important goals. So with you know, with the run of games, his confidence certainly seems to be improving, and he's doing a job. And I think as as someone who is seemingly as a sixth or even seventh choice right winger, he's 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 done fantastically well. Um, and you know, and I, I you know, we're all cognizant of the fact that he. He played an important part role for a you know a fairly weak Costa Rican side in the World Cup. He's you know he's a player that has experience at, um, in difficult games in Champions League fixtures and 
um, in tough environments. So he's clearly got some metal about him and he hasn't been phased by this opportunity. So although I don't see there being a great level of upside in, this, in the way that we saw with Coquelin, I think you can expect a pretty consistent level of performance from a player like Campbell. And um, as of right now, that's exactly what this team seems to need. Yeah, and, and you know, I, you can look at uh, a team in terms of the individual quality of each of the 11 players, but obviously it is a collective. And I absolutely agree with you that the, the qualities that Campbell brings fit this collective. Um, I think that Nacho Monreal is a very assured, uh, strong, positionally aware, experienced left back who doesn't always need the support of his wide forward Defending Bellerin for all of his great quality and has been tremendous is still a young player who can benefit from having someone who will track back and assiduously support him defensively and and Campbell gives him that, um, so it 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 fits the balance and the thing that impresses me about Campbell that you know the surprise to me is look, you know I, I saw him play at Olympiacos and I saw him play for Costa Rica and you know you know he can strike the ball a little bit he can run a little bit. Obviously, the missed chance over the bar was disappointing, but that play where it gets played into him and he lays it back off to Ramsey to put him in on Hart, that's a very clever, thoughtful, delicate little pass. And that's the part of his game that really impresses me. He seems to have a good football brain, for lack of a better way of putting it. I mean, we saw that with that through ball he played the other day. So, you know, long may it continue. Obviously, it's it's keeping Oxlade-Chamberlain out of the side, but I also think you could argue that Oxlade-Chamberlain is keeping himself out of the side. So, you know, that's another issue for another day. Um, Tim, Theo Walcott scored a gorgeous goal and was crucial in creating the second goal, the pre-assist, so to speak. He's not always getting 100 touches a game or playing 100 passes or, or necessarily making sliding tackles after sprinting 80 yards. But he is, as James put it, an output player. And I, I think he's just woefully, woefully underrated. Um, how impressed were you with, with the goal, with the pre-assist? And is Theo a player who maybe is ready to make that leap into absolute elite status? Um, I was very impressed with him. And the thing that impressed me most was his work rate because it's not something you always associate with Theo Walcott. We've seen signs of it when he's played up front and I think or thought that that was just a symptom of he really wants to play up front and got the bit between his teeth but uh, the kind of the combination of him, Ozil and Giroud pressing their their kind of back line and their willingness to drop back and help and you know was, was fantastic last night and Walcott was you know was kind of on um, you know was on Sanya all the time and he was even contesting headers with him um, which Walcott doesn't usually do. Um, obviously, nobody can beat Bakri Sanya in an aerial challenge, as we've seen. He's Maybe Matthew Debushi, but that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely immortal in, in that kind of regard. But, um, you know, I was saying last night to the guys I sit with that even if you know you're not going to win it, the least you can do is make it hard for the guy to direct the ball. And he was willing to do that and kind of leap with Sanya and maybe think, well, even if I don't win it, I'm not going to make it easy for him to kind of pick someone out or, or knock it on with any conviction. Um, I agree with you. I think he's really adding things to his game now. Um, he's he's becoming so much more efficient, as, as shown with that goal. And, you know, there was a time when Walcott could do something like that once in a while, and you'd think, oh, oh wow, Walcott really hit that. But actually, it's it, it's becoming more and more of a regular thing. 
I mean, that finish was almost a carbon copy of the one against Villa, which was ruled out for offside. Yeah. Um, extremely confident if you look at the way he hits it. It's just, I, it, it opened up very nicely for him. And I was kind of diagonally behind him and, and I shouted, hit it, because I could see that the angle was nice. But I mean, it was almost nonchalant um, the way he actually put it in. And he didn't look surprised or anything when it went in. Um, and I think that's what he's really adding to his game now. He's got, He's getting that little bit more conviction. Um, and when I speak of aggression, I mean like a mental aggression as well as a physical aggression, that kind of, yeah, I'm 25 yards out, but, you know, that's no problem. I, I can stick this in the corner. That kind of, he's beginning to lose that hit and miss kind of thing we always used to see. And you're right, he still doesn't touch the ball that many times in an average game. But actually when he does, it's usually to do something pretty decent He's decisive. He, he makes exactly. a decisive contribution. You exactly. Know? And, and actually, I'd, I'd borrow a phrase that I heard um, Jamie Carragher say last night, and, and I think a little bit incorrectly when he was talking about the difference between Silver and Ozil. And he <clears> said something like, Silver runs a game, Ozil turns it. Um, and actually, Walcott's like that. He doesn't run a game, but he'll turn it. And it used to be that he'd have you know, 12 touches a game or whatever, and six of them would be absolutely dreadful. Um, but now it's kind of, he's having 10 to 15 touches a game and they're all good ones. Um, and, and so I, I, I think he's on the cuffs. Um, I really, really do. And he's, you know, he's 26 now. So he's kind of coming towards his, his prime years and he's going to have to add things to his game because his pace isn't going to last forever. Um, he's going to age and he's had some injuries, you know, lower body injuries. So that will begin to take its toll. Um, not anytime soon, though. I mean, he, he could no, keep no. that burst all the way until he's 30, right? Or Indeed. 29. But, but I've said this before earlier this season as well. His movement is no longer just um, a question of his pace anymore, which is why he can play in front of kind of deep defences now, which he couldn't before because he always needed space in behind and then to just sprint. And actually, there, there aren't many of his contributions this season I can think of maybe his first goal against Stoke when Ozil plays him through. But other than that, I can't think of many that are just down to pure pace. It's actually the, the kind of the cleverness of the movement. Put, and the put it this way. And the pace helpful, but it's not why he got into that position. And that's what he's adding to his game. I mean, how, how, much, how fast is Luis Suarez? I don't think anyone would say he's no. a particularly fast player, but how many times did you see him five yards behind a back four because his run was timed so expertly? Exactly. You know, if you have a little bit of quickness but great intelligence to your runs, you can get behind a back four. Um, the other thing is it's rare that Theo's going to come up against a very, very high line, so he's not running into 40 yards of space. He's running into three yards of space, yeah. you know? Um, but there's another thing, Tim, and... and you know, this this is where I think Theo is really impressing me now. I mean, we saw his strength to win the penalty against Villa. We saw his, his finishing against City. But two particular passes, okay? He played the through ball from midfield to Ozil that gave Ramsey his goal against Villa, right? Mm -hmm. You remember the one I'm talking about, yep. you guys? Mm -hmm. It was on the counterattack, through yep. ball, right? And then... He played the pre-assist ball from midfield to Ozil that Ozil gave to Giroud for his goal. He's not just contributing on the end of his runs now. When he's dropping deeper, when he collects the ball in midfield, he's turning provider. He's seeing the pitch better, and his, his range of passing is fantastic. Um, you used to think of Theo as someone who was only effective on the end of a run. Now he's a transition player. He can be really effective in transition. Um, 
And and I think that that's important to the way we play because, you know, if our if our forwards drop deeper when our fullbacks overlap, and the ball comes to them, they have to be able to distribute, and he can. Um, James, we got to get to Ozil. I mean, we're we're 27 minutes in, and we haven't really mentioned him yet. Um, two more assists, I believe. Did he get credit for two assists? He did indeed. Yeah, he did. Um, he now has the world record for the most assists in the history of football in in a season and forever. He's he's the best player in the Premier League so far. He is odds on right now to be play, player of the well player of the season. You know, I don't, I don't know how these things are timed year season whatever it is, but he he looks like the best player in the league and. Um, he he dominated this game. He really did, and it, it's it's not just the assists, but it's the way that when the ball comes to him, it just feels safe and secure. So put the assists aside for a minute, and tell me what you think Ozil does for the way we play, the calmness and the performance in, in a big game like against City. You know, there's a lot of discussion now about what's changed from Ozil about a season ago, prior to that that injury, and. We all talk a lot about the way he physically altered his body. I think he's, he's talked about recently that, you know, from that point on, he altered his diet. Um, he made a very determined effort to adapt himself, um, mostly in in the way that his body is shaped, um, to match that of the the type of physicality and um, the way the game is played in the Premier League. And I think, of course, that's made a massive difference. But you know, with that, I think there's this very genuine sort of fight and leadership quality that he seems to have about him now. You know, he's he comes across as a very humble and very modest person. And I think we saw that that almost seemed to kind of um, reverberate in, in the way he played his football, to me, but, um, over the first couple of seasons that he played at Arsenal. So he, there, there was something quite quiet, something quite, I don't know, he did, perhaps just, you know, externally, maybe, you know, and ostensibly, he, um, he didn't seem to display this, this sen- sentiment and feeling that he he was the leader on the pitch that he was the main man of the team he um you know almost in the way that we we discuss like the behavioral qualities of, of Giroud when he remonstrates when things go poorly um but now when you look at Ozil and and you look at the way that he carries himself to me he looks like a player that's ready for the fight that looks like he very much em- embodies the the man at Arsenal you know even even if personally he he's not that type of person. I think you know he he now feels that he can he is the person to sort of lead this team forward. The way that um, you know he, the way that he controls the play in in our final third. The you know as as a smaller side, we're talking now about the work rate. I think the work rate of our of our players from back to front is is exceptional. There's a very there's almost a, been a switch in my mind. I think now when the players they they have that hunger that. That, that feeling that they, they really can push forward as a team and there's this, this unity amongst them. And when you look at a player like Ozil, a number 10, who, and I appreciate I'm not really even talking about his major qualities, but the, the sort of smaller aspects of his game that he's changed. Like, I mean, the, the, the shift that he now puts in for this team, and, and Arsene talked a lot about it, um, both before and after the, the Villa game and, and the, um, this game just gone, um, the way that he works for this team, you know, he... He embodies that that team player, and I think now, with that confidence and um, tying in with the qualities, of course. I mean, the way he shapes his body, the way that he creates that yard of space for himself, um, his ability, you know, his ability to spot um, to spot a pass and within a split second, and 
Um, yeah, the ball is so secure, so safe with him in, in the toughest parts of the pitch, in the areas of the pitch where you have so little time. Um, and when you, you know, what's interesting when you look at that movement of Theo dropping off, and it makes it very difficult for um, an opposition defence to, um, to to understand how to control that 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 part of, of space on the field. Because when you have a centre-back or a, or a full-back that, that, that's looking to track Theo, when a player like him sits deep and, and Ozil looks to sort of to occupy that space further forward, you know it leaves it leaves those defenders in two minds, and I think that's what we saw for that second goal. The way that um, Urza was able to to find that pocket of space to then pick out that pass was you admittedly as well um, down to the way way in which City lost the ball. And I think you know as as these relationships have built, we talked a lot about when Urza first came. You know, we were all very excited to see um, the Theo and and Mesut partnership foster and. Um, and we're really seeing that now, of course, from you know all all forward players and all all forward players. Sorry, um, you know when you look to Ramsey, Özil, the way that this team is now um, fitted in with Mesut, it's taken him a little time to to settle personally, to to adapt to the league, but also for him and his teammates to now sort of play on the same wavelength. And I mean, it is just such an absolute joy to watch because he is an exquisite footballer. Um, and the quote often going around is, you know, if you don't, I think Arsene was the one who mentioned, if you don't, if you don't love watching Özil, then you, you know, you just don't love watching football because yeah, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So I mean, he, I mean, he's we're just so incredibly lucky to to be able to watch a player like this playing at um, you know at the top of his game right now, and um, you just always feel you you look at some of the the injuries we suffered, but when when you see Özil on the team sheet, you just you always feel like you got a chance. Yeah, it makes I, everyone around him that much better as well, doesn't it? I totally agree. And, I, you know, I think him bulking up his body was definitely important. But look at the type of player he is. He relies so much on finding open space and then collaborating with his teammates on passes that maybe other people wouldn't see. And that means understanding where your teammates are going to be, the tech, you know, the tactical approach you're taking in the game, understanding the movement of your teammates. I think for a player like Mesut Ozil, he needs two or even three seasons with his team, with his manager, to understand where the spaces are going to be, where the movement's going to be, because he wants to do things in his head before he even has the ball. You know, he, he kind of makes decisions in, in amounts of time that are so minuscule that he has to understand everything that's happening on the pitch before it does. Um, and part of that is about, uh, uh, you know, as Murtisacker likes to say, automatisms, you know, Um and I think we're seeing that from him. The other reason I think he's so important to us right now is that we are not a team filled with great ball control possession type players. Ramsey, Ramsey apologies, loves a giveaway. Um, Flamini is not particularly a possession-oriented player. Joel Campbell, you can get the ball off him. Theo's not going to be on the ball a lot. Giroud can hold the ball up to his credit. Um, but Ozil is that guy that when the ball flows through him you have a moment to make runs, to reposition, to to collect yourself, to to take a breath, to sort of take stock of what's going on in the pitch in that moment, and you just know that the ball is safe with him. And we need that. We need that maybe now more than ever without a Cazorla who's good at that, with you know Ramsey now not being on the right where where at least he became more of a midfield type option. So I, I just think that his you know, and not having Alexis Sanchez who while he does give the ball away can also you know, hold on to it a little bit. I, I just think that his ability to maintain possession for us and allow us to sort of um, 
just recapture some control of the moment is very important. Tim, I'll let you slurp Ozil for a little bit. Um, <laughs> it was two more assists, but it yeah. was really leadership too. One of the things that we felt from him when he first arrived is that he shied away from the big moments. Not only is he not shying away, but there's real leadership on the pitch. Um, what do you think? Again, aside from the assists, he's adding to the dynamic that has has changed and and was so important on Monday night. I mean, yeah, he he looks a couple of inches taller, doesn't he? Almost. He's um, not a, a a small player either, too. No, he's not no, one no. of these diminutive midfielders. But I, I don't even mean just physically, like the way he carries himself. He lo- he looks very sure um, of what he's doing, and I think um, a lot of that is to do with. He really knows his teammates now, and um, you tend to get two types of kind of creative player, and um, the two best examples in Arsenal's recent history are Bergkamp and Fabregas. Um, with Fabregas, Fabregas, as much as I spit when I say his name now, um, his his quality was recognising the qualities in his teammates. So no, no matter who was playing ahead of him or beside him, he knew exactly how to tailor his delivery. So when Adebayor was up front, he understood, I'll hit everything at chest height because he'll chest it down and he'll be physical. And we scored so many goals um, through that kind of avenue. When it's Walcott, it's, I understand, put the ball into space, let him run onto it. When it's Van Persie, I understand that he's got this kind of, you know, feints to go one way and then goes the other to lose a defender. So, you know, whip the ball around for him meet that movement his his kind of quality was recognizing the qualities um of his teammates then you've got someone like Bergkamp who who didn't necessarily tailor his delivery per se it's just his through balls were so good that it it just didn't matter they just begged to be hit um and actually I think Ozil was kind of a hybrid of the two because if you look he's able to he's able to play a very good cross which for you know a player like Giroud is is very very helpful. You know, thinking of his assist against Everton at home, for example, when he just dinked that lovely ball right onto Giroud's head. Um, but also, I mean, he's so good with through balls. Giroud's goal just sums it up last night. He's so good at hitting a through ball that he got Giroud to run behind a defender at pace and beat the goalkeeper. Which with his stronger know, foot, without having to take a touch. Exactly, exactly. He's he's so good at playing that through ball. It's almost like, and I used to see this in Bergkamp, that he sees the ball before the striker does. Usually the striker's the one screaming for the ball. But actually Ozil plays it because he sees it first. And he says, go on, run on to that. And he almost prompts and provokes the striker in the way that Bergkamp used to as well. So Bergkamp would know your run before you make it and force you to make it if that makes sense mm-hmm. and um and Ozil's so good at that as well and and players like you know Walcott and Ramsey don't need that second invitation but but someone like Giroud it's it's not natural to him but actually we're seeing quite a lot of goals where you know he's playing that kind of pass um even to someone like Joel Campbell who I think for his you know technical security I think he lacks killer instinct um you know in, in the final third but we've seen him set up two lovely goals for Joel Campbell because the quality of the ball demanded a finish and a run. Um, so that's, that's you know, if you can be a hybrid between Bergkamp and Fabregas as a creative player, you're, you're on to something very, very good indeed. Yeah, I, I mean, he is, he, he is one of those creative players that's worth watching. And I think it was interesting because 
David Silva is an excellent player. There's no taking that away from him. Um, absolutely phenomenal to watch. And I think sort of the player that was held up as the example of what Ozil couldn't do or didn't do. Now, I think they're slightly different players, obviously. But on the night, Silva was kept very quiet um, by a combination of Ramsey, Flamini, Koscielny, Mertesacker. Um, and Ozil's just hard to keep quiet because he pops up in so many different spaces and contributes in so many different ways. Um, and I think he's now starting to make the runs where he can get on the ends of things, too. So he is a goal-scoring option, and that that's something that we're going to need down the stretch. Let's talk defensively for a minute, though. I'll just stay with you for a second, Tim, and then, James, I'll give you a crack at this as well. Uh, you know, down the years, you could count on some clown car comedy moments every single game from Arsenal at the back, whether it was Almunia, the Morris dancer, or Flappy Hansky, or Mikel Silvestre, or Squalachi, or Juru, or even Gallus to some extent. There, were, there was going to be a moment where a ball was played into the box or you know, up to the, the opposition forward and someone was going to do something ludicrous. We just don't have those comedy moments anymore. And Koscielny's come in for a lot of praise. But how important is this trio, this partnership of Mertesacker, Koscielny, and Czech? And how much do you think they complement each other? I think they complement each other hugely. They're all at um, a brilliant age for their positions as well. So they're all, you know, Czech's 33, which in goalkeeping parlance probably equates to about 29-30 for an outlook, outfield player. You know, Mertesacker and Koscielny are, what, 30 and 29, something like that. Um, so, you know, they're all at a fantastic age in terms of having lots and lots of experience, but not lacking athleticism. Um, and then, you know, either side of them as well, you've got two fullbacks who I think are performing really, really well. I think... Um, I think Monreal has almost has basically become our answer to Bakary Sanya, albeit from the left. I think he's a very similar type of fullback, very secure, dependable, um, and and he's kind of really, really bought some. You know, he, he's continued that air of calm um, back there, um, and just just knowing his job um, and doing his job, and and you know, it, a, a game like last night is. I thought Mertesack was absolutely outstanding. Um, and in many ways, a, a game like that just perfectly suits his qualities because we're always going to sit quite deep, particularly when we got the first goal. And, uh, you know, Veng Wenger always says that the first goal usually wins these games, and he's right. Um, because you could see in the first 20 minutes, basically both teams wanted to counter-attack. Um, but at nil-nil, it's, it's a bit frosty. It's almost like a standoff. The second somebody scores, then you've got a scenario where the team that scores can sit back, soak up and hit on the counter like like we did. And that perfectly suits the game of Per Mertesacker. I, I just think there are so few defenders in the league that I would rather have in that kind of scenario than Per Mertesacker. And Koscielny, again, Mike, how often do we see him pull out these performances against you know, players like Luis Suarez and Aguero and even Lionel Messi a few years ago? when we played them at the Emirates, like he, he really, really seems to enjoy and relish these battles with absolutely top-class centre-forwards. And, and obviously, he's, he's a more visible um, kind of style of defender. But, you know, that I think the kind of the com the, the complementary trio there is, is absolutely huge. And I think Czech's brought so much to that um, as well. I mean, look at what Man City had to do to score. Um, in the end, he's he's just brought so much security, um, and I, I think he's a huge part of it. I think Monreal's a big upgrade on 
on anything Kieran Gibbs has ever done in an Arsenal shirt as well. Of course, um, yeah. And it's and it's 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 really really good to watch. And um, you know, Arsenal do have this. You know, we see possession a lot, particularly in these games, um, unlike a few years ago. And to be able to do that, you have to have a solid base. And uh, it looks to me with those players like we have it now. Yeah, and one of the things that's interesting to me is Koscielny made a lot of forward runs. He carried the ball forward a lot more in this game, and that's something he's starting to do more often. Um, yeah, the pass to Ozil um, for Walcott's goal, um, I think it was, where he kind of stepped forward. He's done that a couple of times in the last few games. He kind of comes forward, and that was a really nice pass between the lines to Ozil, um, and it, it really kind of got City on the wrong foot. I fully admit every time he does it, I'm screaming at the TV, get back, what are you doing? <laughs> get back, please, God, no, get back. Um, and if you want to watch an interesting moment, too, just to show how the quality's all knit together, when Aguero played that great pl- pass to set De Bruyne free on the really good chance early when De Bruyne missed wide of the far post, De Bruyne looked up and wanted to play in Silva. That was what he wanted to do. And Bellerin had made one of his... Walcottian runs from like 20 yards deep in their half back to get close enough to Silva to close that angle. And I thought Czech and Bellerin were the heroes in that moment because Czech was just perfectly positioned to make that angle as tight as could be. And Bellerin, if he does not make that lung-bursting sprint back, Silva's just an easy slide across the box and tap in. So everybody's kind of doing their part and pulling, pulling, pulling their weight right now. Uh, James, so we wound up having to defend at the end mainly because Torre went in a beast mode. He just went back to his unstoppable best. He was, you know, look, I'm not here to slurp City at all, but for the last 20 minutes, yeah, yeah, Torre really was something something else. Um, but we handled it. We, we rode our luck a little bit, but we also showed a lot of grit and character. For you, how much confidence do you get going into a game? And in a last 20-minute period like that, seeing Czech in goal and Mertesacker and Koscielny at the heart of the defence. An incredible amount of confidence now. I mean, when you look at that whole back four, um, it's so settled. And I think, well, certainly going into this game, we had the second best defensive record in the league behind United. Um, And you can see that solidarity between that back five and and the quality of that back five now. Um, The yin and yang quality between that of Koscielny and Mertesacker complement each other so well. And exactly as Tim said, I mean, I think this is a game that was very suited to Purr's qualities. But even in those two moments in the game, you know, there were, there were two particular attacking plays from City that you felt really would expose a player like Pear. And, you know, to a certain degree they did. You, you look at that De Bruyne chance where Mertesacker had sat it extremely deep. Um, but, on, I, but on, I think that one you can put on with maybe Theo for not covering Monreal and Koscielny for stepping way up to intercept, right? Oh, right. No, I, absolutely. I think a lot of that came down to, and, you know, Monreal having pushed forward as well. I, I, I don't think Koscielny, Koscielny was probably aware of how far forward Monreal was. Otherwise, I'd, you know, I'd, be, I'd be surprised if he would have um, been as aggressive as he was. Good point. Um, you know, with the knowledge that Monreal was ahead of him in that play. And I think, you know, it was, it was a very intelligent play for Mertesacker to sit as deep. And for someone who's often lambasted for his lack of pace, uh, I'm not saying he has an abundance of it, but, you know, he did quite well to keep up with the play in that situation. I thought the way he held his position, he made it very difficult for De Bruyne. Because I think De Bruyne, actually, as, as they showed in the analysis on Monday Night Football, was that he perhaps looked up a little too late. But Mertesacker, instead of committing himself to the ball, 
Um, he held his line very well, and he, he between him and Czech, he, you know, they, they and, and Bellerin, of course, they cut off the supply to uh, to Silver and forced De Bruyne into finding a pinpoint um, shot into the corner, which he ultimately missed. And I think much the same was the case when Hazus Nabas, a player shorn of confidence, um, in front of goal, and Mertesacker again, he you know he held his position. He he very much restricted. Jesus Navas from doing exactly what we wanted to do, which was play it across goal, and he, you know, he said, you know, go on, be checked. Um, and I think that was a sign of a very, you know, very intelligent player in a situation which he's often left, um, you know, very much at sea. It's not, it's not the part of Mertesacker's game that um, I, I imagine he would, he would say he's, he's most comfortable with. Um, and I, th- I felt he dealt with those situations pretty exceptionally. Um, but yeah, I mean, you look at, you look at your Monreal, the Koscielny, the the sort of aggressiveness, the fight that they two ha- the two of them have, have, and I think you know that's very much what I I see in this team now. Is it it looks like a side really up for the challenge, really up for the fight, very much, especially when you compare it to teams of the past. And you know you've always felt there's been this very soft core to us, and we, I think we've often complained about the mental side of um, of the team, and you know a lot of that generally comes down to to your back five. If you can build that solid base, a, a five that you know work in the way that these 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 um these five do and and the way that they're they're willing to fight for each other and you you know you look at that partnership of Mertesacker and, and Koscielny um the way that Monreal and and Koz are, are able to play on the front foot um aggressively intercept balls you know against the likes of your Silvers your Agueros um and I thought actually the you know Hector for me in in the last few games or so he you know Still a fantastic player, of course. You know, I thought he, he, he his form had sort of dropped slightly. And I thought he was right back up to his level again. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think all, when you look to any title-winning side, you often look to the back five um, that can build those foundations. And um, there's something really, you know, that this back five has a lot about it, and it, it gives you a lot of confidence because even in those nervy moments. And I was I was bricking it. There's no doubt about it. When you watch it back, <laughs> you know when you watch it back with the knowledge of uh, of what's to come, they actually you know City will be you know there, there's a couple of moments within the first couple of minutes where Theo tracked that Torre run and and then Boney had that that shot that was affected for a corner. But you know as nervy as it was, there wasn't really that much that was created. And and in fact, you know. Again, we we were the ones that looked the more likely to score. So I... yeah, the ner- the nerviest moments were probably penalty shouts, which I don't think either were penalties. And I think as much as the referee came in for some criticism for maybe not booking players where they should have been booked, I thought he did a brilliant job in holding his nerve on a couple of very shady Manchester City dives in the box. Um, and you you made the perfect point too, James, which is that really, really we should have scored the third more than they should have scored a second. We blew some. Excellent chances. I mean, Campbell did. Ramsey did. Ramsey missed an opportunity to play someone in. He had the other weird one where I think the commentators thought it was a shot. I think he was trying to curl across um, when he was in the box. And do, do you know what I'm talking about? He curled it wide to the post. Yeah, but it I went out for he, the goal kick. I, it was yeah. a strange one. It was very unlike Ramsey. I mean, you felt in that position. I mean, his mind's always, you know, go for goal. And it seemed... I thought it was a cross. I thought it was a little lofted sort of curled ball because maybe it was Theo or someone was was making it. It was Theo. Um, He seemed almost in two minds about it, didn't he? Yeah, he really did. But you know, the the one thing that I think this comes down to and what we're seeing is character. We have had a lot of shady character-type players over the last decade. 
um, whether it was Sylvester's or Squalachi's, as we mentioned, or Gallus as our captain, or Danielson's, or um, Gervinho's, players that didn't seem to be up for the fight. And you look at Ozil, who's a World Cup winner, and and uh, La Liga winner, and uh, Alexis, who's a Copa America winner. And did he win the Champions League with Barcelona? Probably, I'm assuming. Certainly won La Liga. Um, and you have Mertesacker, who's a World Cup winner, and Czech, who's a Champions League winner, and Joel Campbell, who has been a part of helping Costa Rica go further in the World Cup than anyone would have dreamed. And you know, on the biggest stage there is, um, there's a lot of big characters in this in this side now, and that character. You know, you, you don't see a lot of joke-type players who you expect to let you down um, or fail you in the big moment. Um, and, and Olivier Giroud, you know, I, I mean, again, he's now scoring in big games. All the things that, you know, I've certainly been critical of him, missing his chances, not scoring in big games, he's turning that around. Now, I still think he's a confidence player, but when he is in a confident run in a purple patch, he's as good as anyone in the world, and he's come into, into confidence here at such an important time of the season, you know, when we don't have Alexis, when he has to play every game, when the games come thick and fast, and we couldn't have asked for a better time. I mean, if he can get us through this period, maybe into January, even if he gets off the boil a little bit, when some of the reinforcements are back, we could be just fine. Um, Let's talk title. It's a big win, and it leaves us in a good position in the table, again, with no disrespect to Leicester. No, you know what? Fuck that. Disrespect to Leicester. They're not winning the title. Little club, not deep enough, don't have the talent, never going to win the title. Not going to happen, not in a million years. There. Should sufficiently jinx things. Um, Tim, so two, two questions. So first, let me ask you this. At this stage right now, do you see us as the favorites to go on and win the title? And what do you think has to happen other than that we get more points than the other teams for, for us to, to, to finally do it? Um, I, I think you'd have to say we are favorites at the moment. I, I think that game last night really decided who was favorites, um, if anything, um, and had Man City won, then they would have been favorites. Um, really what we need is... We're going to need some players back at some point because we're we're kind of battling manfully at the moment. But you know we're we're not able to rotate, and you know we've got some players that are playing you know above their usual level, and that that doesn't tend to last forever. Um, it certainly can't drag us through the last five months of the season. What I really hope is that those injured players come back and reinvigorate the squad um, as as we kind of go into the, the final furlong. We also need Man City's inconsistency to continue um, because make no bones about it, they should be favourites with the players they've got and the money they've spent. You know, on paper, we should be massive underdogs. Um, and I've been saying for a few years, for Arsenal to win the league, things really have to go for us. And that means our competitors underperforming. Um, and, it, you know, Manchester United are definitely underperforming. Um, Chelsea are woefully underperforming and City are underperforming a bit and that, that makes it a huge chance for us. Um, for that, for it to kind of, for us to prevail, that's going to have to continue, certainly in City's case. My big hope is that the the kind of innuendo around Guardiola destabilises them a bit, as it did in Mancini's last season where it was very obvious he was going and, you know, the the squad became very inconsistent and it looked a little bit unstable. And I, I kind of hope that, you know, at least in the short term, the Guardiola rumours grow and perhaps that that happens again because 
we need you know we need every advantage we can get when we're coming up against teams like like Manchester City with with the financial firepower that they've got. Um, so that's really what needs to happen. And the other thing that I think needs to happen is Arsenal usually conform to a formula in a season where they're iffy for half a season and then they really find consistency. Um, and I'd argue that we've had our iffy half season. Um, there have been, you know, without wishing to put a downer on the podcast, when you list the under par or poor performances this year, there have actually been quite a few. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we didn't show up for November. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And that wasn't that long ago. Um, what I'm kind of hoping is that this result and the Olympiacos result really gives us that that jolt that Arsenal always seem to need to kind of go on that run. And we haven't been on that run yet that we usually do. Um, so I'm really hoping that, that that pattern kind of holds and what we get in the second half of the season is Arsenal just kind of turning up and being very consistent and mm-hmm. perhaps managing some consistency of selection um, and things like that. And, you know, when you look at last night as well, um, I think we should temper ourselves slightly because it was a really, really good win last night. Um, and what, what you said about character and everything is absolutely true. And the reason that that's so important is because games like this are decided on such fine margins and people underestimate it because at the moment, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, we beat City, we're going to win the league, uh, we're the favourites, woohoo. Um, but pretty soon we're going to lose a big game and probably not play any different. It will just be that the very small details will go against us, like De Bruyne finding the bottom corner. Or like Stamford Bridge, where there's a refereeing decision that destroys exactly. the match and costs it. You know, costs exactly, it. and that's going to happen um, soon because it happened because it happens in all those games. Well, we've improved in the big games is we're better at keeping it tight. Um, you know, when you're not losing five and six nil, <laughs> that the, the small margins kind of matter less when you're you're just getting thumped. But we scored with our first two shots on goal last night. Um, and th- and that's a symptom of being able to keep it tight, to be focused, and to have that character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, to wrap up my answer, City are going to have to continue being a bit of an enigma, and Arsenal are going to, you know, hopefully s- those two results I mentioned will give us real confidence, and we'll start to get players back, and we'll get that normal kind of half season of, of consistency from Arsenal because I think that'll be enough. Yeah, I mean, the fact that City might be going a little deeper in the Champions League than usual this year and the fact that there's uncertainty surrounding their manager both should help us, you would think. Um, So fingers crossed that that does. You know, I'm going to go the other direction here real quick and just say, look, I was as vocally critical of Arsenal as anyone over the past few seasons on the fact that we never won the big games. We didn't beat Chelsea. We didn't beat United. We didn't beat City. We lost those games embarrassingly. We got embarrassed at Anfield. We got embarrassed at Stamford Bridge. And my, you know, and we lost and dropped some silly points to Spurs that, you know, were upsetting. And my argument always was, everybody boils a season down to titles. But to me, a title is just one thing that happens at the end of a season. I want to look back on seasons and remember big wins, exciting victories. You know, I remember the win over Barcelona at the Emirates. I remember the five-two over Chelsea. You remember those, those big wins those exciting moments in big games, those are the the signposts along the way in a season that you look back on and remember seasons later. And I've loved this season so far for the moments where we've done that, beating United comprehensively, beating Bayern Munich at home, beating City. 
I will remember those moments, whether we win the title or not. And it feels good to be doing that in big games again. It's, um, funny, it's funny you say that because very quickly, I, yeah. we had this conversation last night about um, end of season uh, review DVDs, which Arsenal seems to have stopped doing. And what goes on the front of them uh, are those types of games. And a couple of seasons ago, I think it was the 12-13 season maybe, they had like the celebration from when from the equaliser when we drew away at Man City. That was like while they were <laughs> hanging their hat on. I I would argue I don't I don't find that Barcelona game at the Emirates memorable at all because um, we got because eliminated it half, because it was half time. Yeah. Um. But you know. Well, it's kind of like the win at Bayern Munich in a, in the dead rubber. A yeah, of and I think that was a symptom of exactly what you're saying. We'd we'd been starved of those moments for a couple of years, um, which is why the Barcelona. You know, we we were briefly beating Barcelona. Was celebrated a bit more than I thought it should have been, but yeah, that that's just a discussion we were having last night. Yeah, I mean, look, winning big games is exciting. You, you know, th- think about it. If you're an Everton fan, for example, you're not going to win the league. So, what do you want to do? You want to beat Liverpool, United, Arsenal, City? Like, for half, for for seventy five percent of the Premier League supporters, the things they remember in a season are big wins. And I'm no different. I remember the big wins. It's just we hope a title comes at the end of it. Um, so, James, for you, how exciting is it to be winning the big games again? And where do you, where do you put us in the title race? Well, of course, it's you know it's super exciting. I mean, as you say, these are the good, good point. The, <laughs> these are the games that you do remember, and and they're also symptoms of a of a potential title winning side. I mean, you don't see many. Teams that win a title, though ostensibly you can, you know, beat all the minnows and and drop points against the big sides and come away with a title. But you know, statistically, that's not a you, you don't leave yourself with a high probability of, of of coming out as the Premier League victors. So I mean, a title winning side, generally speaking, has to be beating the the big teams, or certainly at home. And that's you know, this season when you look at that, I mean, that United performance was, you know, I I can barely remember a, a game in which we played a big side and, and pulled out a performance like that. And, you know, when you look at the City game as well, there was there was so much being drummed up about it. It, it was, a, you know, Leicester aside, effectively a title clash. And, again, it's these types of games where we've come under a lot of scrutiny. We also have generally over the last, you know, five, to five or so years mentally been, you know, unfortunately not not quite at the races for this type of game and haven't felt like we deserve to come out as as victors and now that sentiment seems to run deep through this this squad when you look at the kind of players we have and you know one of the promising aspects of the team when you look forward to this potential to us potentially being favorites for the title is you know we're currently doing this as a as a side without some of our key components with you know with Alexis Sanchez out with your Coquelin and your Cazorla um, you know, someone like Campbell has had to come into the squad, and so we've gone through. We have gone through a, a decent number of sort of poor patches already this season, but we've we've adapted ourselves quite well. And on, on the one hand, that that's promising because it suggests that there's a there's a real depth to this squad and there's a real unity to this squad. Um, and it's not a squad that isn't totally reliant on 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 an Alexis who was, uh, you know, our, our best player last season, and um, but also. You know, with that comes the fact that we are we're still we're still on the brink injury injury wise. You know, if, if Flamini gets injured prior to bringing in a new central midfielder, which it you know it it seems like Arsenal will do, 
um, or you know Ramsey gets injured prior to that time, you you then look at the squad again and think, well, you know who who's starting that midfield spot if um, Campbell gets injured? You, okay, you can look to a player like Oxley Chamberlain and you you know hope for him to to step up his performances. But you know we're still we're a little we're still at a pretty shaky part of the season because we we seem to be on the cusp of getting a couple of players back. I think Alexis is back what January tenth and. You know, maybe maybe Jack is able to come back fairly soon, and I don't know if Mikel Arteta will ever be able to play a full ninety minutes again. But you know, we, and we have been quite fortunate in in the way that our back five has remained fairly healthy throughout the season. But you know, on one hand, there is that genuine sense of excitement and and positivity because we do look like a very strong team and and a team that has. Um, suffered a lot with the way in which the squad has been hampered, something that we've never really been able to cope very well with. Um, and you know, if, if you bring in that that additional two in January and you you get a couple of players back, and even if you have to soak up a couple of of injuries, that looks like a squad that can deal with that. And that looks like a squad that that often tends to be quite reinvigorated in January when those players come back. And I, I've I've always felt a, a genuine level of confidence, and I think. That seems to only be building now, and when you look to to City, and as Tim mentions, I mean, if if they continue this level of inconsistency, which, given everything that's going on at the club, seems f- somewhat plausible, um, how fit can Company Aguero and Silver stay throughout the rest of the season? Then you look at this and you think this is a really good opportunity, and 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 the title is definitely there to be won. Yeah, I I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I think. It's interesting because I've had some people on Twitter come to me and be like, oh, you still feel critical of Arsene Wenger for not buying any anyone in the summer. And, you know, everybody wants to do point scoring at these times for some reason instead of just celebrating, which is silly. We should be celebrating, um, you know, the, the win. But here's the interesting thing. Um, it, it's on a fine, a, a razor's edge in a way right now in that, if we win the title with the squad as is, it is a stunning validation of Arson's squad building and his decision-making in the summer and his belief in cohesion and what he had in the squad. If we fall two points, three points, four points short of a title, and it's because of a silly silly couple of game points we dropped because Flamini couldn't keep this level up or we didn't get the goals we needed with Campbell in the side or whatever it is, then it's going to be hard not to look back and go, God, if we had just pushed the boat out a little and brought someone in in midfield or someone up front, we could have made the difference of the three or four points in a season where the title was really there. And it may, let's be honest, the Premier League may never be as winnable as it is this year. I mean, you could probably win it with the lowest point total in a decade or more, and and it, it really is there for the taking. So, right, on the one hand, you can be so excited about the position we're in and on the other hand it feels like gosh we're making do it with our forward line and we're making do in our midfield and it just feels like so much is being held together with duct tape and super glue right now you know I'm, I'm kind of optimistic as, as you sort of referred to James that we might make a signing in January that bolsters the midfield because I think right now that's where we're really just barely holding it together but it's going to be fascinating and more than anything it's exciting to be in this position come Christmas time this is all we want as fans, win big games and be in the reckoning for the title. And right now, there's no question we are. So let's leave it there because there's going to be a lot more podcasts to do over the next few days, assuming we can all do it. And, uh, you know, I think I think it's just been fun to celebrate a, a big win that everybody really enjoyed. So uh, James can be found on Twitter at uh, GoonerFanatic49. 
and uh, it's a pleasure to be able to talk to you again, James, in what seems like an eternity. <laughs> Indeed, uh, a pleasure. That was a ton of fun. Thanks, Anna. Yeah, and, and Merry, Happy Christmas, however you want to say it. I hope you have a lovely time with your family. And Tim can be found on Twitter at Stilberto. You can read his stuff on Ars Blog and other places as well, uh, or see him at the Emirates or at Away Games as well. And Tim, uh, Merry, Happy Christmas to you and, and to your family as well. Yeah, and to you, and season's greetings to all listeners as well. Yeah, exactly. Well said. Uh, my name, Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. And we would love a review on the podcast if you want to go to iTunes or wherever else they allow reviews. Here's my tip. Give us a five-star review because you certainly don't want to punish Tim or James or Paul who are all excellent. Then in the, in the actual review, you can write all the nasty stuff about me. So that way you're doing something nice for Tim and James and Paul, but you still get to get in your, your criticism of me, which is both well-deserved and, and required. So uh, I hope everybody has a wonderful holiday season, whether you're celebrating Christmas or something else or just looking forward to the new year. But most of all, I wish you many, many three points uh, over the, the festive period for Arsenal in the Premier League. We'll talk to you after the next match, which I believe, uh, is that Southampton? Is that what's next? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll look forward to it. We'll talk to you then. Cheers. Goodbye. Cheers. Woo!